back to our second panel, uh, Afterlives of Aubrey Beardsley. Um, we're going to have the three papers in, in succession like we did before and then 20 minutes to questions at the end. Okay? Um, our first speaker is Emma Sutton, who's at the University of St Andrews, where she's a senior lecturer. Um, her research focuses on the cultural-historical relationship between literature and music, um, and she was the author of a brilliant book called Aubrey Beardsley and British Wagnerism in the 1890s, which was published in 2002. And it certainly did you know, define a new kind of direction, um, certainly in Beardsley studies. Um, she's currently working on the Euro-Pacific musical exchanges, and her paper today is entitled Beardsley and Faulkner's Black and White Minstrels. Thanks, I'm just going to come and stand at the front, which I think is possibly a bit clearer. Um, but thank you so much to Sasha and to Jane. It's just an honour to be here and to be um, celebrating Beardsley's collection in the Catalogue Raisonné. So, um, William Faulkner's recollections of Beardsley span the length of his career and a variety of genres. From allusions to the artists in novels of the 1920s and 30s, including Soldier's Pay, Light in August, and Absalom, Absalom, to a 1920 experiment in verse drama entitled Marionettes, complete with Beardsley-esque illustrations, to several dozen black and white drawings, William Faulkner's work exemplifies the rich legacy of aestheticism and decadence in the art and social history of the American South. As many have, as many have noted, works like Nocturne, which I've just put up on the screen briefly for you to glimpse, flaunt his fascination with Beardsley and with many of the French writers in vogue among Beardsley and his circle, most obviously in this case, um, Baudelaire, Verlaine and Bonville. So most of Faulkner's visual art was produced when he was in his early 20s, studying at the University of Mississippi and producing poetry, review essays, and in his capacity as art editor, drawings for the various publications attached to the university, its annual, its newspaper, and various humorous magazines. And the critical consensus for several decades has been that these works of Faulkner, both literary and visual, were juvenile pretensions which were immediately parodied in print by his classmates and have been more recently explained by Philip Weinstein in terms of Faulkner's self-aggrandizing and occasionally downright duplicitous claims to European sophistication. And recent critical shifts don't bode too well for their status either. Faulkner's drawings of jazz-age socialites, dancers, travellers and the leisured seem to celebrate the material wealth and glamour that have troubled some recent critics in their assessments of Beardsley's own legacy for the 21st century. Um, and to give you a flavour of some of those very quickly, here are a few of Faulkner's drawings from the, the Old Miss annuals of 1919-20, um, and the bottom one is from the 1922 annual. But what I want to do today is to put a couple of Faulkner's images of musicians into dialogue with Beardsley's as a preliminary step in thinking through some of the racial politics of these images. Faulkner's images of musical performances are striking for their prominent and unsettling representations of dark-skinned musicians. I'm going to come back to these two images in more detail in a bit. When I first encountered these images, um, they gave me a dot. It's partly to do with what I can only call their crude stereotypes of black Americans. 
But there was a second job too. They got me thinking about the apparent scarcity of images of persons of color in Beardsley's work. Perhaps a surprising fact when we think about the cosmopolitanism of 1890s London, particularly of metropolitan theater and music hall life, and also when we consider Beardsley's sustained attention to marginalized and exoticized identities. To my knowledge, and here Linda or others may leap in and correct me to my humiliation, um, but to my knowledge, Beardsley produced only one image um, which it unequivocally represents dark-skinned subjects. But even um, these subjects, even the ethnicity of these subjects, is not straightforward. R.A. Walker's early attribution of the title Indians to this drawing is queried in the catalogue raisonné, which plausibly offers the alternative title <coughs> Pirates, a title which affords no specific ethnic identity to these figures, perhaps recognizing the multiple orientalizing tropes at play in this image, which seems to be exploring Moorish as well as Indian elements. So Faulkner's later drawings from the 1920s throw into relief, I think, some of the difficulties, the critical difficulties, in speaking about racial identity in Beardsley's work. And they highlight, for example, the fact that representations of race in Beardsley's art are as much a matter, matter of style, of aesthetics, as they are of subject matter or skin colour. No one reading the highly racialized vocabulary of Beardsley's contemporary reviews or uh, Linda's work on Beardsley's Japanism could doubt that race was central to Beardsley's cosmopolitan aesthetics, just as anxieties about race informed many responses to his work in the fantasy. And of course, readings of Beardsley's work that rely on identifications of skin colour are, if you forgive the pun, red herrings, insofar as colour is implied, read onto the details of Beardsley's black and white drawings rather than literally present on the page. So it's unsurprising that Faulkner, working in the segregated American South of the 1920s, when black and white musicians couldn't record together, and musical ensembles were often all white or black, it's unsurprising that he should represent musicians of color prominently in his work. It's also unsurprising that artists attempting to represent music should be particularly attentive to embodiment and the ways in which the bodies of composers, players, and listeners can indirectly evoke the immaterial, these immaterial sounds. Images of music are informed by these compete, the competing characterizations of music through a long um, Western intellectual history in these two uh, models of music, either as immaterial, transcendent, um, even divine, or as irrational, visceral, um, and instinctual. So what I want to propose is that Beardsley and Faulkner's images of music, whether of performers, composers, or audiences, are grappling in their different ways with the problems of representing in a visual medium the partly intangible, ethereal sounds of music. So even a glance at Faulkner's images of musicians highlights some broad differences in Beardsley's own earlier images. Firstly, in contrast to Faulkner's attention to the energy of performance and its eliciting of movement, often dance, from its listeners, Beardsley more often evokes music through passive, debilitated individuals. In these drawings of Chopin, Faber, and Verdi, it's hard to imagine these languorous figures capable of performing, let alone writing music. Chopin's hand hovers as if outstretched to an absent piano keyboard. 
underlying the fact that he is neither playing nor composing in the moment of the drawing. And his slump posture, tubercular frame, and the esoteric details of the setting and the backdrop suggest that music is a static, dreamy process rather than one of energy or movement. Weber and Verdi in these images too are physically frail, stooped in the case of Weber and aged in the case of Verdi. So I want to suggest that in these images of composers, music is represented as emotionally and physically debilitating and is primarily associated with introspection and with languor. And this is not only because these are images of composers who we might think of as typically choosing to work in solitude. As a work like Les Revenants de Musique shows, um, it also privileges the languid, solitary recollection of music over shared participation in a musical event shared participation in an audience. So one of the second clearly crude, clearly broad brush generalizations we might want to make is that musical performance is very often a solitary activity in Beardsley's work for performers and listeners alike. We might think of all those solitary cellists, um, pan pipers and harpists in the designs for the Mort Darthur, or of the singer poster with its pianists in absurd splendid isolation in the middle of the field or the portraits of opera stars such as Max Alvary, depicted in isolation from his fellow singers, the orchestra and the audience. And of course, um, inevitably this requires caveats. There are exceptions to these broad brush observations such as Beardsley's images of the audience at Tristan and Isolde and the comedy ballet of marionettes, which depict ensembles of musicians and larger audiences, but these drawings tend to be slightly later from the period dating 19, 1893 to 94. So it's no accident, I think, that the Yellow Book period, with its attention generally to performance and to music as an event, is the period that influences Faulkner's images of musicians. So my, my sort of very crude broad argument is that there's these early images of musicians, of composers, players, and listeners depict music primarily as solipsistic, as associated with memory, with recollection, and with introspection. Um, and these early images of musicians' debilitated bodies associate music with intangible mental and emotional experience, rather than with physicality. So by presenting music in terms of inner experience, this is arguably perhaps a strategy of evoking the intangibility of music. So I just want to go back now to look at the Faulkner images in a little bit more detail. So Faulkner's untitled drawing of an ensemble playing behind two dancers was published in the Old Miss Annual of 1920-21 on the page that listed the members of the university's Red and Blue Dancing Club. So the choice of instruments in this image, the trombone, clarinet, um, soprano sax, snare drum and bass, imply that the ensemble are playing jazz. And the image as a whole seems to be a sort of jazz-like joyous riff on the contrast between, the visual contrast between black and white from the piano's case and with its implied black and white keyboard to the individuals and even perhaps to the black and white figures of musical notation. But how are we to describe these musicians? It's possible to stretch if we ignore the, the sort of numerous hints that this is jazz that is being performed and danced to that these are intended to represent black-faced minstrelsy, performance conventions in which white players black their faces with burnt cork, a tradition that was so familiar throughout the 19th century that minstrel troops have been touring <coughs> London since the 1840s, um, and which 
busy, may well have had opportunities to observe. But knowing Faulkner's um, condemnation of racial intolerance, not only in his fiction, but in his fictionalized memoir, Mississippi, it may be tempting to read this image as a critique of blackface conventions, or perhaps more broadly as an expose of the racial hierarchies fundamental to the social hierarchy of jazz, so, sorry, the social history of jazz in the early 20th century. But I, th I think so somewhat reluctantly that this, this, is, this is rather wishful thinking. Um, the figure's uniform facial features with large lips and tiny protruding ears um, seem to be um, simply caricatures of persons of colour. And the drawing's formal tropes can be read racially too. While white dancers are acutely aware of each other, with their faces pressed intimately close, and the balance of gra and grace of the woman standing on Juan emphasised, the musicians are also shown in states of ecstatic um, physical and emotional abandon, um, with one exception oblivious to those around them. And it's only the player here who's actually looking, looking towards the dancers. So I think there are stereotypes at play here about the supposed innate physicality <coughs> and physicality of non-white musicians. <coughs> what Faulkner seems to depict is that the black musicians are viscerally rather than intellectually moved by this music. Um, and it suggests to um, the musical aptitude that many um, aesthetic discourses at the time attributed um, to non-white performers. The drummer and the trombonist are also moving um, their bodies dynamically, evoking the energy of this music. And jazz's kinetic effects are evoked, I think, quite deftly through the bass player, who is shown as vibrating in unison with his instrument, an idea amplified by the visual echo between the strings of the double bass and his pleated shirt front. So he has, in a sense, literally sort of become the instrument, or is one of this instrument. But there's a broader um, uh, uh, racial connotation, I think, to, to the um, style of this image, and the contrast between the sinuous lines of the white dancers and the more angular poses of the players on the left emphasizes the energy and the rhythm of the black players, two terms absolutely vital to modernist aesthetics, and both terms that were laden with racial values as critics such as Zonghan Sai have started to explore. So the prevalence of a term like rhythm in um, in um, art criticism of the late 19th and early 20th century and in fiction. It's important, for example, in um, Forster's um, novel Passage to India. Um, it's clearly a term that carries racial connotations. And the second drawing, Social Activities. This was published in the Old Miss Annual in 1919-20, the year before the previous drawing. It's clearly indebted to the Scarlet Pastoral, um, as has several times uh, being noted. So the prominence of the checkerboard pattern, the Commedia dell'arte figures, the large elevated candelabra and costume details such as the Turkish slippers are common to both designs. The pom-pom hat of the female dancer, as um, you can see there, um, and her partner's harlequin tights prompt um, Linda in the catalogue resume to describe them as a ecstatically entwined Piero and Pierrette. Um, but I particularly wanted um, to think a bit about this kneeling banjo figure, who I find very difficult um, to read. Um, Linda definitely describes him as a Piero troubadour, and I think that's a lovely um, sort of recognition of the fact that his, his banjo is a sort of suitably contemporary, updated version of the guitars or lutes um, carried by um, medieval um, peripatetic minstrels. 
Um, it also gestures, perhaps, um, appropriately towards the importance of the banjo and minstrelsy traditions um, and in blues, for instance. So it's a very appropriate detail to include from an artist working in the southern states in the 1920s. But he is, in many ways, I think, a very puzzling figure. Um, this troubadour is not playing, um, he's not making music, although the other figures are shown as dancing. So in some senses, we might read this as an image which is about music's effects, its afterlife. But we think we have to ask why he's kneeling. Is this in some kind of abasement to the white dancers? Is this a gesture indicating that the focus of the performance um, has moved to the dancers in this particular moment? Um, and what are these white circles that seem to be spilling from the Pierre's hat? Uh, bubbles, balloons, moons, um, coins. The banjo player's striped costume is puzzling too, I think. It, it, carried, it sort of seems to hint at a prison uniform, but it could also be read as a flamboyant pinstripe suit, evoking the dandyism that burgeoned among black American communities in the South partly in response to Oscar Wilde's 1882 American tour, as Crowell has established. And it's perhaps worth recalling, too, that the character of the black urban dandy known as Zip Coon or Dandy Jim was a stable character in minstrelsy. And the racial identity of this um, troubadour is profoundly ambiguous, even in its representation of his body. We can see from his bowed head that he has a black curly ponytail that set against his um, slightly difficult to see. He has um, an, ex an extremely mannered, elongated white hand that's stretching out to touch the skirt of the female dancer, a visual echo, a gesture reminiscent of the candle flame flickering against the erection that descends the white costume of the attendant in Enter Herodias. And I think um, Joseph showed us that a few, a few minutes ago, so hopefully you may remember that. And the gesture itself is ambivalent. Um, is um, the banjo player imploring the female dancer? Is this a sort of lustful and predatory gesture a la more modern Weinstein? Um, is he creating a respectful barrier between them um, as he does with his arm, which covers his face, preventing him otherwise from looking straight up the dancer's skirt? It's notable that unlike the previous Faulkner drawing, this does not rely on caricatures of the facial features of persons of colour. Indeed, the musician's face is withheld from us in this image, but it none, the drawing nonetheless makes race a prominent subject. And even in the background or backdrop here, I think you can see the way in which Faulkner has transformed the candelabra and this broad T-shape in the middle of Busy's design into what can be read as a stylized rectilinear West African mask. So I want to end this very brief um, excursion through these drawings by Returning to Beardsley and to one of his relatively infrequent images of musical ensembles, um, in the third image for the comedy ballet of marionettes, we see it in the base of the drawing um, a thoroughly defamiliarised, orientalised, exoticised image of a musical ensemble. And as that and, and others have noted, um, the facial features of these musicians are informed by contemporary racialised discourses about physiognomy. Um, and they were read by contemporary reviewers as displaying African, Asiatic, or so-called primitive features. So I think Beardsley is clearly informed, too, by contemporary racialized theories of music that were exemplified in 1895 by Gustave Le Bon's claim that women, children, and the very lowest races were especially moved by music. 
So this broad shift that I've tried to track across these images of musicians um, is obviously uh, from these sort of solitary and languorous images are produced in 1892-3 to the more to the performance events of the racial uh, of the Yellow Book. Are partly driven by these changes are partly driven by the different types of music that are being evoked in the images, the differences between opera, classical or art music, and the jazz and dance music, which um, Beardsley and uh, uh, Faulkner are exploring. They're also driven, of course, by uh, wider shifts in Beardsley's style and by the context in which they're published. But uh, Beardsley, like Faulkner, is grappling with the problem of how to evoke music visually and how it might be represented through embodiment. And in doing so, I think, he's exploring and reflecting on ideas about um, the so-called primitivism of certain types of music and its troublingly physical effects on its listeners. And so Faulkner's interest in Beardsley was part of Faulkner's wider interest in decadence and in fantasy and art, but it also, I think, gives us a further hint of Beardsley's proto-modernism. The works of both artists acknowledge what Umila Shashagiri calls the dynamic relationship between racial discourses and the modernist project. <laughs> 